Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Paul Casaro, you in the head basketball coach, on with us here. Paul, you get a, a little bit of spring in your step now come tournament time, you know, in the big dance at the D2 level. I would imagine that you woke up and maybe didn't even need coffee this morning. Is that true? Uh, that's not true, man. I'm barely sleeping watching all this film and get ready for this weekend, so I definitely need a heavy dose of coffee, but we are we are fired up. Hey, Coach, it's Brendan. You know, when you think about the Division Two tournament and you watch ball games all here during Champ Week, Division One, even the NAIA level, all the talent that you see uh, across the board, you know, how much talent is out there of the teams that you see? Because it just seems like today's college athlete is as good and has more depth than anywhere because it seems like any team that you see has one or two or three guys that can really hurt you nowadays. Yeah, I mean, there's the players are so good. Like I, I look at it uh, every day and I'm like, there's no way in heck I could play today. You know, and thank God I, I finished playing a long time ago because these guys are just bigger, they're more athletic, they're more skilled. And, uh, you know, we have a really deep team. Our, our regional's filled with deep teams. And like as you alluded to, you watch – uh, basketball from all levels it's just uh such a deep sport and it's fun to see the different ta- talent levels out there you know you're taking on mckendry on saturday coach what's the biggest challenge that that squad presents to your team you know every team kind of goes through waves in a season and you know as you guys know uh hitting stride at the right time in any season is, is really important and they're really hot right now they've won six in a row they won the conference championship uh tournament so, like, they're just their team that's hot. They're 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 hitting their stride at the right time, playing with a lot of confidence. And they have two uh, two elite scorers, uh, Bryson Boltman and Milos Vesentic, both about 16, 17 a game. So, uh, shutting those two guys down, and then just kind of you know slowing down their rhythm and mo- momentum. Coach, when you just got done with the GLVC, first game goes to double overtime, and you know all of that emotion that gets piled up in a double OT game. How hard is it to come back even 48 hours later from a double OT game when you just invested so much energy into what was such an emotional ball game against Quincy? Yeah, you know, uh, I think our fans that saw our score would say it's really hard because we didn't play too hot 48 hours later on that Saturday. Um, and, but, you know, to, to, our, to our guys' defense, they, they were drained. Uh, physically, mentally, and emotionally, uh, but also, you know, credit to Missouri St. Louis, who we lost to on, on Saturday. They, um, they they played a very good ball game, and um, you know, highlighted some things that we need to shore up and correct in the NCAA tournament. And uh, credit to our players for um, having high character and you know being able to look themselves in the mirror. We've had a really good week of practice so far. Paul Casaro joining us here, you indie head basketball coach. I think it was interesting, coach. You talked about. McKendry being on a roll here, how much differently will that cause you to coach a game when the opponent is on a roll like that? Simple things like utilizing timeouts, being aware of, hey, they might be going on a run here, strategy. How much differently do you coach when a team has it rolling? Yep. 
I really think that we just got to make it more about us, to be honest yeah. with you. So, I mean, I think, you know, you scout a team, you know their tendencies and know how you're going to try to attack them. You know uh, what adjustments you're going to go to if certain things aren't working. I think if you try to change up things too much or try to focus too much on the opponent, it takes away from who you are and what you do. And um, our guys should feel really confident because, you know, I'm, I'm very confident in them as a coach. They're 26-4. and four, And, you know, we're, we're hosting for a reason. So I think we need to uh, focus on UND, um, UND mostly. Paul Casaro, head coach at UND, is with us here on the Fan Midday Show from the DriveHubler.com studio. Coach, when you get here into crunch time, I work in a different sport. I work in baseball, which is a little bit different where you play every day, every single day. So really there's not much practice time. But when you get towards this portion of the year, when you're kind of in the dog days of the season towards the back end of the regular camp, I know your last two regular season games were on the road, so that's a little bit grindy. And then you got to go to the conference tournament. Now you go to the D2 Midwest Regional. Where do you find time to fit in practice that you want to get to? Do you have to change things at all just to find your guys rest? Yeah, you do, actually. You know, uh, fresh legs, fresh minds is really key right now. But you also have to uh, get, get the proper work in. So, um, you know, it's a fine line of, you know, you want to get what you need to get in, but you also don't want to crush your guys either. So um, what we try to do is, you know, go hard still because it maintains our intensity and, and, and levels in which we like to play, but just go for a shorter time frame. And, you know, maybe not bang bodies the uh, length of time that we normally would during the regular season. Or, hey, maybe you try to give maybe one more day off here or there, but you still have to maintain your intensity. You still have to maintain uh, your effort levels because then if you don't, it takes away from what you do. I just had one of the most random thoughts, Coach, and I'm going to share it with you because I don't know why I thought of in college football they have the mayo bowl and the winning coach gets like a, a tub of mayo poured on his head you know what I mean and so I'm just thinking about (laughs) celebrating I'm thinking about celebrating if your team greatly exceeds expectations and you're in celebration mode what's something off the wall that you might do I don't think you're going to pour mayo on your head but what what would you do that might surprise us a little bit yeah I absolutely do hate mayonnaise so it it won't be that uh but (laughs) the you know I I I, we have fun as a group. You know, I, 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 I'd probably be the one chest bumping our guys or ripping my shirt off, doing something crazy like that. That's, that's more at my speed. But uh, the, uh, the, guy, the guys have fun. They've, they've given me a water bath once or twice this year after big games. And our, our staff came in after one game and, um, you know, laced them up with some squirt guns that we had prepared um, in the event that we had won that game. Kind of surprised them. So you want to have fun with it. Uh, winning is so hard, and you need to enjoy every moment. Hey, Coach, now that we are fully in March Madness at all levels, including high school basketball, this is a question I like to ask coaches, especially when I'm getting ready to do games. So what's your philosophy on fouling up three? Because I I know it varies, and I know a lot of times when there are emotional moments in a game, one, either somebody can forget or there's miscommunication or something else is going on. But do you guys always foul up three late? And if not, what's the process? Um, there are definitely times that you need to do it and definitely times that you shouldn't do it. And I think every coach has a specific situation um, in the game in which they would, which they want it. Um, you know, in several coaches, it's a, at a certain time. What, it's based off how much time is on the clock. Uh, so I think there's, uh, there's positive times to do it. There's negative times to do it. Um, in the event that 
uh, our opponent is, is listening this week, and I'm not going to give you what time that is for me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Paul, really appreciate the time, man. Best of luck in the tournament. Hope you crush it, but it's always good to visit with you. Hey, thanks a lot for having me on, guys. You have a great day. Thanks, Coach. You too. Paul Casaro, you indie head basketball coach. We've got Alex Golden, Pacers reporter, also on Setting the Pace podcast. You know, I'm going to go in a random direction with you here, Alex, because we were talking to a, a UND head basketball coach in the first hour, Paul Casaro, and uh, based on a random question, he said that he hates mayonnaise. I won't give you the whole story because it doesn't really matter, but where are you with mayonnaise, Alex Golden? Thumbs up or thumbs down? <laughs> I think it's a thumbs up on the right thing. I mean, if you like ranch, you have to like mayonnaise too. So, I mean, I'll give it a thumbs up. Thumbs up. I like that. Um, What else would you be giving a gigantic Pacers thumbs up for right now? What what would be the thing that appeals to you right here, right now, heading into tonight's action against Houston? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a good opportunity to get a win. Now, if you're trying to get into the play-in tournament, which – uh, I believe we talked about last time I was on here. It, it's not necessarily the best option, I guess, for a fan standpoint of to build the team moving forward. But for these guys, I mean, this is a good chance to get a win. So the Rockets are 15 and 50. Uh, beating the Rockets actually does help the Pacers a little bit because they do have their second round pick that it could be 31 or 32 if they have the worst record in the NBA. So adding another loss to their record could help. So, I mean, thumbs up for tonight is just seeing that and then, um, hopefully maybe seeing Aaron Eastman tonight. He's questionable after missing the last two games, and I think they've missed him. Hey, Golden, it's BK. Uh, you know, what TJ McConnell was saying after the Philly game, and giving up 147 points is never the goal of any NBA defense, but he says that they're playing the right way, especially over the last two. Why do you think that is? Yeah, they're just playing good team basketball. I think Rick Carlisle's alluded to it as well, just because you've been able to see how guys are are doing more than just being scorers. And while you're putting up a lot of points, I get everyone's probably getting a healthy dose of their amount of points, but you're seeing more ball movement. You're seeing better defensive rotations. I think Benedict Matherin has really impressed, really, since the San Antonio game when he only played 15 minutes. He's going out there against against, uh, Chicago. He goes out there against Philadelphia, and he plays pretty well off the bench. Tyrese Halliburton is finding that good balance of knowing when to be the scorer and when to be the facilitator. I mean, 40 points, 16 assists, you really can't ask for much more than that. So I think overall that's the big thing. It's just being a little bit more connected on both sides of the floor. Now, it's tough to guard Joel Embiid and James Harden. Everybody knows that. You know, so it, honestly, like that game, it's crazy. Miles got in foul trouble. You're, you're relying on Jalen and Isaiah Jackson to fill those minutes. And I thought Jalen Smith played really well specifically in that in that stretch that he was out there, probably did a better job on Embiid than Miles did for that game. So, you know, I think that the young guys are stepping up together and they're just playing as a collective unit instead of playing, you know, for themselves. And that can happen sometimes when you're in a losing streak and, and playing on a team that's not really heading in the right direction. You know, I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful and just make it all about the next season, but – I think it can be about both. It could be about this season and next season. What are the two most important things regarding next season that you're seeing the Pacers do well right here, right now? Yeah, it's a great question. I think first and foremost, while while he's still not starting Benedict Matherin, I think you're starting to see how he can grow as a player and be more than just a scorer. I think his fit next to Tyrese Halliburton 
it's going to be just fine. I know that there's some people that want to see it. I, I'm I'm one of those people that want to see them start together just maybe the last 10 games of the year just to kind of get a small sample size of what you have uh, moving forward because those two guys have been uh, are, are the face of the franchise moving forward. And we know that Nimhart has been getting the start over Matherin because of his defense. And I would just like to see maybe Matherin get a little bit better defensively, but I think he's taken strides as well. And then I think something else to, to just – be excited about is as simple as it sounds Tyrese Halliburton is budding into uh, a star I mean he's an all-star this year arguably the best point guard in the Eastern Conference I I think that the Pacers have something really special here with Tyrese and I think even if this season they don't make the plan or if they do make the plan and don't make the playoffs whatever like I I think just seeing wow we've got our we've got our centerpiece right here we've got a guy we can build around and a guy that makes everybody else better. Look at the year Miles Turner is having and and how it's been a career year for him. I, I listened to a podcast the other day and they were talking about how Jokic makes everybody better. And if you look at both guys, Aaron Gordon, when he got traded from Orlando to Denver, he became a much better player and was even an all-star consideration this season. That doesn't happen without Nikola Jokic being by his side. And I think you can make the same case for Miles Turner playing next to Tyrese Halliburton. I don't think Miles is nearly as as impactful as he's been this season without having a guy like Halliburton. I think that's going to be the case moving forward is just having a, a player like Halliburton that's able to, you know, raise raise the uh, raise the floor for a lot of these guys and just help get them to a better spot. Alex Golden's with us here on the Fan Midday Show from the drivehubler.com studio. Hey, Golden, I want you to put on your teacher cap here. Jordan Wara, okay. first couple weeks in a Pacer uniform, letter grade. What are you giving Jordan Wara? Mm. I'd probably give him a B. I, I don't think he's done anything exceptionally well, but for the role that he's been asked to play, for the style of play that they've asked him to play, compared to Milwaukee, we're one of the more faster-paced teams. Milwaukee's a little bit slower paced, so he's kind of had to – figure out how to play this style of basketball. I think he's done a pretty good job. He's filled in nicely, I would say. Not not incredibly well, but not bad for, for Aaron Neesmith. And it gives him some size. Good offensive player. I still think there's some room to grow defensively, but he's still pretty young, drafted in 2020. So, you know, it, it's a good flyer, and it's good insurance for O'Shea Brissett if he ends up leaving in free agency. So uh, I think he's not been a disappointment, but he's not been exceptional. So I'll, I'll give him a solid B. Uh, what would you give our questions letter grade wise today, Alex? What would you say to that? I mean, starting off strong with Mayo is pretty yep. good. So yep. I'll, uh, I mean, Will Levis likes Mayo as well. So I'll go ahead and stay with it. We'll go with an A there. <laughs> oh, wow. I appreciate that, Alex. Very nice. Uh, we really yeah. appreciate your time, man. A interview on your part. So uh, thanks for that, man. And hope you have a good day. Yeah, absolutely. Hope you guys have a good one, too. Thanks, Thank Golden. There he is, Alex Golden. Setting the Pace Podcast. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, let's go out to James Boyd, covers the Colts for The Athletic, joining us here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, James, how... (laughs) How many questions about the Colts quarterback situation would you guess you faced to this point, and how many more would you guess you'll face until draft night on April 27th? 
Oh, man. If I add them all up um, between real life and the Internet and text messages and whatever the case may be, I'm sure it's in the hundreds and there are going to be hundreds more just because everyone knows in this league, quarterback matters more than any other position, probably not only in the NFL, but just in sports and American sports in general. I mean, you get a great quarterback, that changes things. You get a bad one, that changes things as well. Hey, James, it's Brendan. At the NFL Combine, when you were listening to Chris Ballard, I want to focus on Ballard first because I know it's still your first number of years on the Colts beat, but you've been around Ballard enough where I'm sure you can pick up things about him. And I think in that first press conference, he was really trying to keep things close to the vest. But a lot of times with an emotional guy like Ballard, or I guess an Ursay too, it's sometimes easy to read them in specific cases. So what what were you reading off of Chris Ballard from his combine press conference? Did you pick anything up that has you leaning one way or another about what's going to happen? I think he wanted to try to maintain as much leverage as he could. I don't know how well that'll work because everyone knows Andy needs a quarterback and if they want a quarterback. But I thought it was very interesting that he came out and said, you know, everyone in the world saying we're going to trade up and everyone everyone thinks we're going to just give the Bears whatever. And he didn't say the Bears specifically. He was just saying trading up. But um, I think that he was trying to downplay um, the need and the notion that they're going to move up. But at the end of the day, we all know if you think there is a guy that you fall in love with, you cannot wait um, at number four. A lot can happen between one and three um, before you get your shot to pick. And so if you have someone you believe in, if it's, you know, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, or someone else, um, those two I think are, are probably the more the ones you probably lean more toward trading up for. you got to do it. Now, will he say that, you know, at the combine? Absolutely not, and he shouldn't. Um, you have to evaluate these quarterbacks. You have to see what the market is as far as trading up. You have to kind of maintain as much mystique as you can. But, um, yeah, I thought he was just giving us a little lip service there for sure. <laughs> You know, James, it's funny, man. You talk about getting those hundreds of questions about the quarterback situation, and I get that, but I'm laughing to myself, picturing you getting that one random text message of someone like, hey, man, what are we doing at linebacker, though, or whatever it is. So (laughs) the question is, outside of quarterback, what's the next position that most fans are interested in figuring out what the Colts are going to do? Yeah, I don't really know if it's fans. I feel like I have to remind them and myself, like, hey, there's more to this thing than just a quarterback. And I actually put out a, a list of 10 prospects that kind of caught my eye at the combine besides the quarterbacks. Obviously, everyone was there for every year. It's always a quarterback-driven um, combine. But I think that the areas of improvement for the Colts in particular are, you know, defensive end. they got to upgrade there. they got to upgrade on the offensive line. John Michael Schmitz from uh, Minnesota is he a future Ryan Kelly replacement? I know when Chris Ballard mentioned, you know, people he, you know, sees being still good football players and guys he believes in. He mentioned Quentin Nelson. He mentioned Brady Smith. He did not mention Ryan Kelly. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but um, it's obvious that he did not have the season that he's used to having, the season that earned him that big extension. And do you explore moving on from him in some capacity? So I think that there's other positions of need, obviously, but, I could even keep going. You know, wide receiver, you need some upgrades. Cornerback, you need upgrades. Um, you know, where you're looking at safety if Rodney McLeod doesn't return. So there's a lot of um, factors that can help this football team as far as different personnel beyond quarterback. But, again, no one cares until they get the quarterback. So I feel, I feel like I'll be relieved after 
you know, April 27th when they draft a quarterback and then everyone else can kind of, you know, say it's bad or good, whoever they chose, when they get into the meat and potatoes of the rest of the draft. James, I think one of the Achilles heels, especially of last year, and this was clear, especially when the Saturday hire was made, but just about a whole wealth of things was just the three-headed monster of Ursay, Ballard, and Coach were not on the same page. Well, now you bring in Shane Steichen, and really from everything I've watched from Steichen interviews, I don't know about you, it's been pretty general, and I don't think he's given too much away. It's been pretty vanilla, to be honest with you, but do you at least get a sense that coach, GM, and owner right now are at least on the same page in what they're thinking? Yeah, I think, obviously, that was a unique relationship that they had last season. I don't think anyone could have predicted it would have gone the way it went. And the decisions that were made were obviously uh, questionable, to say the least. But I think now you make a lot of conscious decisions to build this thing the right way. And obviously, Shane Steichen was brought in because he has a great um, quarterback history. Now, that's not the only reason he was brought in, but that had to be one of the deciding factors. And then you look at the staff he brought in around him, they have a bunch of quarterback experience as well. So I think now it's just a case of, you know, Jim Ursay trusting Chris Ballard and trusting the quarterback, the quarterback, I'm sorry, the coach that he hired and believing that together that they can, you know, find someone who will kind of lead them out of the darkness. Now, I think it would behoove Jim Ursay to kind of keep his hands off of things. Um, but at the same time, obviously the owner is going to have that final say as far as who you're going to draft. And I think that, you know, things can change a lot between now and the draft just because you'll have more time to see these guys. You'll have the top 30 visits. You'll have pro days and things like that. Um, however, I think that they have to be on the same page. If they're not now, will they ever be? But I think that, that this is a chance to get on the same page, um, start anew, kind of put that last season behind you and never think of it again ever. I know I probably won't or at least I'll try to, but uh, yeah, we'll see from there. (laughs) James, we circle back to the quarterback situation. I know you couldn't have seen this coming, but what about this scenario where Lamar Jackson, he can negotiate with any team, and I I don't get a whole lot of buzz here in Indianapolis. Are are you getting buzz? Because it just seems like it's not really on the radar of Colts fans I don't know if it's on the radar of the Colts organization, but it doesn't seem to be with the fan base. What are you getting as far as Lamar being able to negotiate with any team and the Ravens being able to offer uh, to be able to to match that offer? Yeah, I think, um, first off, uh, I kind of threw the question out there in a poll on Twitter and a lot of the fans um, seem too uh, gung-ho about that. But I think as an organization, as a franchise, you at least have to inquire that's kind of my stance on it. I know the Colts are in a unique situation, unlike other teams, because they've been scarred, you know, by the perpetual veteran quarterback. And it's crazy to say that Lamar Jackson is a veteran, but he is. He's just young. But I do think if the price is two first-round picks, which is something that you might have to let go of to move up to number one, you should at least look at the proven entity as well. Now, I know um, he's asking for a lot of money, a lot of guaranteed money. He's coming off injuries. Um, but one thing I will say, and actually – Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports put out a great piece. I would encourage everyone to read it about Lamar's contract. He talked to some agents off the record and got their you know, mindset and just the whole ins and outs of this thing. And so it's not as cut and dry as you think. And so that's why I think that the Colts should at least inquire and see, you know, how much would it take to get an MVP who's only 26 years old, who obviously, when healthy, is one of the most dynamic players in the league. Now, I'm not saying you go out and do that, but I don't think you should just dismiss it like, other teams have reportedly done it. And so that's my stance on Lamar. And then 
you take it from there. But it's hard for me to like just say don't even look at the guy. I mean, he's special. James, one of the topics that we've been discussing though about Lamar Jackson is you know if the Colts' offensive line plays like it did last year, it doesn't really matter who the quarterback is going to be because they're either one at risk of getting hurt or two at risk of just being constantly pressured. Are the Colts going to be happy enough to keep a Bernard Ryman at left tackle for a starting role going into this year? Or is there a chance that they could go back to a veteran route like an Eric Fisher? And that's just, you know, as an example from a number of years ago, are are they happy having a young left tackle knowing that the quarterback is also probably going to be a young guy. Yeah, I think that they're pretty high on Ryman right now. He showed some progress throughout the season, showed some strides where he did look like he improved. You could see that. However, I wouldn't be you know too comfortable going into the season saying, hey, it's his job to lose or it's absolutely his job. No, I think that they should bring in um, you know veteran talent to at least challenge him and have sort of some competition at left tackle going throughout training camp leading up to the season because like you all said you have to be able to protect your entity you can't draft a quarterback and obviously that's a great decision to make you know you believe in that guy but if you can't protect him if you can't protect him in the most valuable spot on the offensive line outside of center I mean what are you doing and so I think that that should be um something that you explore and I think Bernard Ryman will welcome that he wants to get better he was pretty candid it was kind of funny I think maybe because of him not being uh, uh, brought up through the American sports way. Maybe he's a, a little more candid than he it should be. He hasn't been, uh, you know, taught not to say anything to the media, but he, he would admit like, hey, I wasn't good on this play. This will not cut it. Or I could have improved here. I could have stepped here and did this, you know, to counter that move. And so I know that he wants to soak all that stuff in, but at the same time, you can't just bank on him being something that he may not be right now, which is why I think they made a mistake at last season, um, not only with him, but just a few spaces on that offensive line. You know, obviously Matt Pryor had a rough season. And, again, these were questions that Chris Ballard were, was asked about going into the season. He sort of dismissed them, and they came back to bite in the biggest way because, I mean, you look at the offensive line, that regressed overall, but giving up 60 sacks is just something you can't repeat, you know, and have success in this league. Hey, James, really appreciate the time today, man. Good visit with you. Hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you. I would encourage everyone to check out my mock draft 2.0. Got the Colts taking Anthony Richardson. Everyone's killing me for that. But as I remind everyone out there, man, it's make-believe. Hey, I figure with all the hype around him, let's explore, you know, bringing him to Indy. Um, Obviously, that's not a report, as some uh, fans like to say. It's just make-believe. It's something to get the juices flowing. And it is in the realm of possibility, so I do want to kind of put that out there, that the kid, I mean, if you believe in Shane Spiking that much, maybe you do look at him. He is Mm. unbelievable, you know, looking at him. Now, play-wise, we'll see. But um, Curry, I want to check that out and and keep keep with me. I promise it'll get more fun as we keep going. By the way, James, real fast, what's the clicks – to Steichen ratio. Like, I know you can, you can back this up in Steichen. He's worked wonders with many different styles, and you can back it up with Richardson there, but there's also the clicks factor. You know that's going to get some clicks. So what's the ratio between clicks and Steichen for that? Oh, I'm so glad you asked this. I'll be transparent um, and not give you some political answer. There is a part of me with every mock draft I've done. I've done two so far. I've got two more to go where I'm like, do I just go the safe route that'll probably happen or might be the most likely outcome? Or do I pour gasoline on this thing and get everyone to click on my stuff and yell at me or engage in dialogue? I'm not going to lie. I usually choose the latter where, you know, you can, you can have some fun with it. And I think that's a, 
a safe space to do so. I think it seriously, obviously, I think that there is, again, a possible outcome of this happening. Um, but, yeah, I don't think too much about, you know, how realistic is it? You know, how can you know right now? I just think that for myself, if I'm going to rally you up a little bit, I might as well have some fun with it if I'm going to sit and, and pick, you know, eight or nine guys in a draft and look up all these different bios. I'm not going to just pick the safest route anytime. I think that that's also an indicator of what the Colts should kind of do. I don't think that they should – you know, settle in any sense of the word. I don't think that, you know, you can look at four quarterbacks and say, oh, we'll just get whoever's left. If you feel like you, you have one that you believe in, you have to go up and get them. And so, um, you know, I feel like that's kind of my proceeds, my drafts, you know, figure out a way to get everyone talking and um, not play it too safe. Hey, man, good stuff. Appreciate the honesty, but uh, hopefully we'll catch up again sometime soon, James. We'll catch you later, bud. Sounds good. You all have a good one. All right, you Thanks, too. James. There he is. James Boyd covers the Colts for The Athletic.